gospel that is in us shines through the cracks, the gashes in the pottery of our lives, and others see the goodness and the grace of God. So I do not preach out of strength today on rest. I definitely preach out of weakness. Let's turn to God's word now. It's written there in your bulletin on page four, and we'll have it also on the screen. This is from the Ten Commandments. We'll read the introductory verses from Exodus 20, verses 1 and 2, and then the specifics on the fourth commandment on the Sabbath, Exodus 8 through 11. Exodus 28 through 11. So hear God's word to you. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord God, your word tells us that you offer rest, true rest for our souls. Jesus, as we open this service, we heard you're teaching to the first disciples and to the crowds that if any were weary and heavy laden and burdened, we could come to you and find rest for our souls. We hear of you providing a rest for old, of old for the people of Israel, bringing them out of Egypt, out of bondage, out of slavery, and bringing them into the promised land. And yet, as we heard the scripture read to us earlier, there's a greater rest ahead. It's in you, Jesus, now. And it's still ahead of us when you come back again, Jesus, to reign fully on this earth, to make a new heavens and a new earth merge together, to to bring your space totally into our space, Lord, and to fit us perfectly for that, to renew us in every part of our being, to take away sin and darkness and night and pain and suffering in every way in that new heavens and new earth. And we long for that rest, Lord God. But Lord, give us rest now. May we experience rest now in you, Jesus. Continually, by the grace of the gospel, and in special spaces, Sabbath spaces in our lives, daily and weekly and seasonally and yearly and beyond, Lord. May we learn how to stop from our labors and rest in you so that we become all that you long for us to be, so that we can be more fully what you want us to be for the world, so that we can grow up into our salvation and see and celebrate more of who you are, O Lord. Please, Lord, do these things in us today. We pray in your name. Amen. I committed one of my top 10 dumbest moves ever yesterday. I'm in the middle of a four-day trip. I'll be here and I'll be in Bernie and San Antonio tomorrow with the South Texas Church Planning Network. And then I'll be in Knoxville, Tennessee 
um, with the church that I planted there, Redeemer Church of Knoxville, on Tuesday for a special event, and I'll be home back in Athens, Georgia, on Wednesday morning. Uh, but yesterday, I started early driving out of Athens, Georgia, to fly out of Greenville, South Carolina. It's an hour and 45-minute drive, and I got up early. I'd packed the night before so as not to wake my wife up early in the morning, and as she said, stumble around like an elephant in the house, you know. Uh, I'd done that work ahead of time. I got my suitcase all ready. I got it down by the door, and I decided to put it out by the front steps on the front porch while I fed the animals and got my little breakfast to go to take in the truck, and then I got my briefcase and put it in the truck, and on the way out, I got, I got distracted as I went out the side door to feed the cat, and I decided to go out the side door, and I brought the rest of my stuff out to the truck, and then I drove on to Greenville, and about an hour and 15 minutes later, Fran calls me, my wife, and says, Paul, where are you? And I said, well, sweetie, I, I didn't want to wake you. I'm, I'm almost to the Greenville airport. Now I'm heading out. She said, do you know that your suitcase is sitting on our front porch? <laughs> oh, I said, no, no. Oh, my goodness. So I had to drive back to Greenville, from, from almost to Greenville to Athens, picked up my suitcase. She had kindly made me a plate of eggs. We ate eggs for three minutes together. I read a psalm out loud to us, and we prayed, and I was back in the car to go to Greenville catching a later flight. Now, that is dumb, okay? Really stupid. Let me tell you what else is dumb. Is when we pass up on the rest that God offers us in the gospel. You know, I'm, I'm a person I love to exercise. I love the CrossFit movement. I was a part of a box, a gym in Knoxville, Tennessee for six years, and I kind of still play at it now uh, as I'm on the road so often. But uh, one of the things that happens in CrossFit is that everybody cheats. They don't go down far enough on their squats. They don't run all the way to the end of the trail to come back. They don't um, do their exercises the right way. They don't get high enough on the pull-up bar they, they, because they want to cheat to get finished faster. They even cheat on their rest times, okay? You're dying for rest when you're doing CrossFit in these exercises. But if you cheat on your rest, if you make it like 15 seconds instead of 30 seconds, well, then you get all your workout done faster, and so your score's better, and you look like more of a hero up on the board. It's ridiculous, right? But people do it all the time. All the time. And you, if you do CrossFit long enough, what you discover is two kinds of people end up happening in CrossFit that get burned out. Some just say, I've run this race long enough. I am done. I am quitting. And then other people are just sort of burned out, but they keep coming because they don't know anything different. And they have to just keep doing this and doing this and doing this. And I think that's where a lot of us are in the Christian life. Right? We're at burnout stage or near burnout stage in living the Christian life. And some of us may be saying, I really want to find a way out. Or maybe we know friends and loved ones who have looked for a way out of all this thing of walking with Jesus. Or we just keep going and going and going and going through our religious exercises and motions and our cycles of activity, and we are dying on the inside. 
Mark Buchanan wrote a wonderful book called The Rest of God about this whole concept. And he said, I had to learn, and he was a pastor for many years, and he just realized I was in this burnout stage. I was just dying. And he said, the more people I talk to, honestly, in my congregation and more broadly in the church all around, the more I realized so many people were dying this way. And he said, I realized I had to learn the rest of God or I would just sort of fall apart inside. I would be like a structure that didn't really have mortar properly put between the bricks or the blocks. And all of a sudden, everything begins to crack and fall apart. I needed the rest of God, he said, and I knew my people did. And that's kind of where I am. And maybe that's kind of where you are. What does it really mean to experience the rest of God? How can it come to us as a grace? How can we stop cheating ourselves out of the rest that God wants to give us in the gospel? And I think the place to start with that is back at these Ten Commandments, these basic principles for living out life together with God. What are the Ten Commandments? A summary of all of God's law. What is God's law given to us for? First, to show us our desperate need for a Savior, to show us our sin, and to drive us and to lead us to Jesus. Right? But after coming to Jesus, what is the law of God there for? To teach us how to walk with Jesus. To see God's rule shaping and molding our lives so we get to be more like Jesus and experience the blessings of the life God wants to give us in Jesus. And I think that no more applies greater than with this whole concept with rest. How can we rest with God? I want you to think about that with me this morning in five brief ways. That because of the gospel, we can rest with God. First, resting with God in terms of celebrating with God. Rest with God is celebrating with God. What does Exodus say to us? What is it reminding us about this whole concept of Sabbath, of stopping, of ceasing? We do this because God does this in creation. God finished his work, and on the seventh day, he rested. If you trace that back to Genesis, to Genesis 2, the first couple of verses, you can see, and God saw that all that he has made was not only good, but very good. And the stars and all the heavens were in their vast array. You get the sense that like all of the angelic beings and all of the heavenly order was on display, almost like parading before God. And he was celebrating all that he had made in the heavens and down here on the earth. And God saw that it was good and it was very good. Sabbath literally means ceasing, stopping, to do what? To celebrate that God's work is finished. Did you get that? It's a celebration that God's work is finished. Not that yours and my work is finished. If you are waiting to Sabbath for when you get all of your work done, you're never going to Sabbath, ever, ever. We Sabbath, we stop in these spaces Sunday by Sunday, 
season by season, in little spaces in each day, the Sabbath principle layering all of life, not just a weekly schedule, to celebrate all that is done. God has done. In creation, Exodus says, and over in Deuteronomy, when their Ten Commandments are repeated, what is the, what is the reason for the Sabbath there? Because, because God has delivered you out of the house of bondage, out of the house of slavery in Egypt, and brought you into the land. We celebrate God's work in creation, and we celebrate God's work in redemption. You get that here in Exodus too, right? Where God starts everything before he gets in any of the commandments. I am the Lord your God. I'm the one who's delivered you and brought you out. The earlier chapter talks about God bringing us out as on eagle's wings. Just a few verses before all this starts. So what do you do when you rest? You're celebrating that God's work of creating the world and all very good and God's redeeming you as part of his people in the world is finished. Now, we're in a more beautiful space even than Israel was in the land, right? Because a greater redemption has been made. Because Jesus has made a greater exodus. This is Transfiguration Sunday in the Christian calendar. On the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus talks to Moses and Elijah as they appear on the mountain with him, as he glows with the brightness of heaven. What are they talking about? Luke says they're discussing the departure, the exodus that Jesus will soon make in Jerusalem. What is the greater work of redemption that the Passover and the delivery out of Egypt pointed toward? It is the exodus that God makes for us in Christ, delivering us out of slavery to the bondage and the power and the guilt of sin. <laughs> We're free. God's work is finished Jesus sits down at the right hand of God because his priestly work is done. And we get to remember that week by week in little slices of each day, moment by moment, we get to cease striving and know that he is God for us and with us. Now, how good are you at that? How good are you at celebrating what God has done? You know, I go back to an illustration that was told really often back 20 to 15 years ago. Some of you that are older may remember this story. It's told a lot. But it's about a famous Christian teacher and author and professor, Tony Campolo. And he was in Hawaii. He taught at Eastern College in, in, in Pennsylvania, New Jersey area. And uh, he was lecturing out in Hawaii. He was many time zones off. And so his body was all out of whack. And he was up in the middle of the night. And he just had to lecture all week. So he went to this all-night diner. And he kept going there night after night, and he met this collection of people that were there uh, from all over the city in Honolulu that were just kind of an odd collection of people. Some of them were a group of prostitutes who came in every night in the middle of the night. And Tony meets one of them especially who's named Agnes. And Agnes tells him on the second to last night he's there, tomorrow's my birthday. And then Agnes heads out with her group, and they hit the streets, and they're back to work. And Tony decides, we're going to give a party for Agnes. And he gets everybody involved. The guy owns the diner. And they make Agnes a cake, and they put streamers up. So the next night, Tony's last night there, they have all this set up when Agnes comes in, and these streamers and these banners, happy birthday, Agnes, and this party with candles. And she comes in, and she is undone that there is a celebration being given in her honor 
where work has been done by all the others to give her this gift. And she said, I've never had a birthday party in my entire life. And they finish it, and she's all, they're out there, and the guy who runs the diner says, who are you anyway? What, what do you, you say you're here lecturing. Who are you? What do you do? And he said, well, I'm actually a preacher. I'm actually a, a teacher of theology and a preacher. And he says, well, what church are you a part of giving parties for prostitutes? And he says, well, I'm a part of the church of Jesus Christ that celebrates good news for everybody. And the diner owner just stopped for a while and just stood there and said, well, I'd like to hear more about that church. You see, this celebration that we are gifted with because God has done all the work is God's party that we're invited into that we don't deserve, that we just get to rest in and we get to be here Sunday after Sunday, and you get to be there in the little spaces where you stop and pray and read Scripture and are reminded of the gospel. When you take the little seasons of rest in your life, not to be void, not to just vacate yourself, but to fill yourself with the good news of what God has done. Resting is celebrating with God. Secondly, consider that resting is identifying with God. When, when Moses talks about this here in Exodus, when, when he teaches on it, inspired by God, to Israel throughout this whole wandering in the wilderness, and then as they prepare to come to the land, this whole section of books from Exodus to Leviticus to Numbers to Deuteronomy, constantly when he talks about Sabbath, he says, Sabbath defines you. Sabbath tells you who you are, that you belong to God. You remember, you used to belong to Pharaoh. And what did Pharaoh say to you? Work, work harder, slave your lives away. Oh, you're complaining to me about the amount of the work, then you're going to have to do more work. You're going to have to make bricks without straw. Just labor and slave and grind. Taskmasters hate rest. God loves rest. And God loves to grant it to his people as his gift. And he says, you're resting in me, ceasing from your labors and your works on a regular basis, but continually ceasing from your efforts to earn your way to me, to have this sense that you have to build your own identity by who you are before me or before the markings and the teachings and the standards of the world. When you, when you give up on that, I freely gift you my grace, my identity, that you are my people and I am your God. And resting allows you to celebrate what God has done to give you this identity in Jesus. You are his people and he is your God. Do you know that? I, I, I know if you've been in the church a while, you... You can mouth that. You can say that. But I mean, do you know that deep down in your souls? Or do you spend your days, your weeks, your hours, your moments, your seconds worrying about what you have to accomplish to be of value in the world or for God to really accept you, right? Yeah, I know I'm supposed to believe in Jesus, but really don't I have to do these other things for God to really be happy with me, to really make sure I'm his.
to really make sure I belong to him. And God says, Sabbath is there to say to you, no, you are mine. And I am yours. Why is public worship such a crucial thing to do, the one thing we're called to do on a weekly Sabbath? Because everything you do here, culminating in just a few minutes and getting to come to this table, says to you, you belong to God and he belongs to you, not because you've worked for it and earn it, because he freely gives it to you in Jesus. And he loves to call you his own. And he just wants you to rest in that. Buchanan says in his book, The Rest of God, he says, Sabbathing with God, celebrating him, stopping with him, ceasing with him, enjoying him and what he's done and this name he's given you is kind of like taking a cat nap in a warm strip of sunshine on a winter day. You know, you just, you see cats do it literally, right? To find that space in the house through the window where the sunlight just is and they get in that and they want to curl up in that spot and then all of a sudden they're ready to pounce down and go forward. Or we might do that figuratively, right? I just want that one space of warmth to just stop and rest and, and get in that sunshine. And yet when I do, I step forward with new energy, new hope, new life. That's what our identity in Christ is meant to give us. Resting with God means celebrating with him. Resting with God means enjoying our identity with him. Resting with God means celebrating our unity together in him. Here's the hard part. When Christians talk about Sabbath thing, what do we typically do? We fight. <laughs> this is what you can do on a Sunday. No, you can't do that. You can only do this. This is what's appropriate to do on a Sunday. This is, you know, and, and we are the best of the best of the best Reformed Presbyterian Christians in thinking we know exactly what is to be done positively or negatively on a Lord's day. I want to tell you something. Whether our teachings are utterly accurate or they're not, and probably they're not because nothing we, we do is utterly accurate, this side of Jesus coming in new heavens and new earth, okay? But our job is not to look, if we are a strict Sabbath-keeping person, according to the standards of the Westminster Confession, our job is not to look down our noses on everybody else who isn't doing it that way. What are we to do in Sabbath? Remember that we are one together in Jesus. You are my people, God says. I have made you my own. You are one together before me. In this new era of the gospel in the New Testament, after the death and resurrection of Jesus, it's not just the nation of Israel, right? It's all peoples from every parts of the world, from Texas to Japan, from former Buddhists to, to you know, people who've spent our whole lives in the church who are finding life in Jesus. We are one in him. And rest is meant, Sabbathing is meant to help us celebrate that oneness, not look down on one another because we may practice Sabbath principles differently than she does 
or he does. <laughs> it's oneness. It's joy. And this table reminds us that we are one with Jesus and one with each other. So to rest is to celebrate with God. It is to have our identity with God. It is to be united with each other. It is to take our privileges with God and apply them. Sabbath is a privilege. Sabbath is this gift to cease from physical labor, to stop from all the things that grind our bodies down, and to just rest. When God himself stopped his works of creation on the seventh day, he didn't stop ruling the world. He didn't stop caring for everything in it. He didn't stop hearing everybody's prayers. He ceased from his labors of creating to celebrate, yes, but also to model for us how it's important for us to cease from our labors on a regular basis. I love what Buchanan says in the book, The Rest of God. He says, God is like a mother lying down with a toddler, helping the toddler to take a nap. <laughs> because the toddler can't go on without the nap. And when God says, cease working in regular ways on a daily and a weekly and a seasonal basis, He's saying, I want to gift you with physical rest. And I'm teaching you how, by the way, I model it. I'm going to lie down here with you and help you rest. But more than that, our privilege when we Sabbath is that we get spiritual rest. We get to experience more of God then we could know any other way. When we cease striving to know that he is God, when we stop all things, yes, our whole lives are to be acts of worship and service to God, but when we stop to do this special kind of resting and worshiping, we see more of who God is. We get a chance to revel in him, to go higher and deeper and wider and longer into his love for us in Christ. And just enjoy him and to see more of him. I love what, what Lucy says, Lucy Pevensey in the um, Chronicles of Narnia in, in the Prince Caspian book. It's a couple of books in. And she's been seeing Aslan, the lion, the Christ figure throughout their journeys. But she hasn't seen him in this journey yet. And now she gets to be with him. And she's walking with him. And she says, Aslan, you're just so much bigger now than you used to be. And he says, no, child, it's just that you've grown bigger and you're able to see more of me. And that's the beauty of what happens when we rest and we worship. We get to see the rest of God, parts of him, depths of him, wonders of him that we could not know any other way. So to rest with God is to celebrate with him, to have our identity with him reminded and deepened and emblazoned in our hearts. It is to know who we are together, united as his people, 
It is to take up our privileges. And lastly, it is to look with a future hope. There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. What happens when we stop? What happens when we worship day by day, week by week, when these <laughs> Sabbath slices of our lives come in and we rest in God in these ways? We realize the best is still to come with God. There is still so much more out there. As, as the verses Hampton read to us, Joshua couldn't bring Israel into the full rest. There remains yet a Sabbath rest for the people of God. The writer of Hebrews even says to us, who are believers in Jesus, who are living on the backside of his death and resurrection, there is still more Sabbath ahead for us. There is this wonder of wonders that will go on age upon age in which there will be no more night, no more pain, no more suffering, no more tears, no more sorrow, no more emptiness, where we will see God face to face in the person of Jesus Christ, where we will enjoy that unity and identity all together in the most perfect ways, where every relationship in the body of Christ will be so rich and so wonderful and so full that there isn't going to be marriage anymore because it dulls and dims the relationship inside the best marriage this side of heaven. That's what's still ahead. And we're meant to long for that when we Sabbath and yearn for that and to have that confidence shape us in the now that that hope is sure and certain. And when that's happening, right, what does that allow you to do? Not worship your leisure time. We have more leisure time than any culture in the history of the world far and away. And yet by all the psychological and sociological scales and surveys that have done time and time again, we have the most leisure time and we are the least happy. So you stop trying to grab every bit of hope out of your leisure. Side by side with that, you stop trying to define yourself by your work and what you can accomplish and what others say about your work. And what your work says about you does not ultimately define you. You are one with Jesus and his people, and you are looking to him coming again. And so finally what that allows you to do is just to be free to enjoy the ordinary rhythms of your life now with Jesus, resting and working, working and resting. And as you go about your ordinary week, not to chafe when things don't go the way you want. <laughs> not to be undone when the work is not all done the way you had hoped. But Jesus is here. Jesus is walking with you. Jesus is taking you to new heavens and new earth. I'll leave you with this. It's one of my favorite stories by J.R.R. Tolkien. It doesn't have anything to do with the Lord of the Rings. Surprise, surprise. He wrote some other stuff. He wrote a little short story called Leaf by Niggle, N-I-G-G-L-E. The man's name, who's the key character in the story, is Niggle. And what Niggle discovers in the story is, is that he's an artist and he's been trying to paint this giant scene. He has this large canvas in his workshop 
and he's been trying to paint it and paint it, but all these interruptions come. His neighbor Parrish keeps bothering him and, 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 and imposing upon him to help him with his cold and to care for his wife and to go out and get groceries for him because he's too sore and too weak, he and his wife both, to go get them. And what happens is Niggle's masterpiece cannot be completed because he's constantly having to serve Parrish. Well, Niggle dies. Niggle goes to be with the Lord. I won't spoil it all with you. But what happens is he discovers that the real work he was called to do were the interruptions from Parrish, were all the challenges and the struggles from others around him saying, could you serve me? Could you help me? Could you point me to the life that you have found? And yet also what happens is Niggle's portrait, and there's just a little bit of it done, right, gets taken up and brought into the life of the heavens that become the new heavens and the new earth one day and celebrated and fully completed. We can see striving even when we're working and know that he is God. We can have confidence that we are his and he is ours, that we are one in the body. We can celebrate his work done in the past, his work ongoing in us, his work that is still to come. We can know that he's taking us to new heavens and new earth. And we can rest, and we can find rest for our souls in Jesus in these real ways in our lives. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this time, and we praise you for it. We pray now as we come to the pinnacle of this service that we would rest, Jesus, in your cross and in your resurrection, that we would rest in the ultimate work you have done for us, that we would actually eat and drink it, celebrate the gospel here, be identified in the gospel here, be one with you and each other, take up our privileges, and know where you're taking all things. So, Lord, come to us, bless us, encourage us in this space and in all the space ahead. We pray this all in your name, Jesus. Amen.